0: We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. Man, it's great to see all of you, whether you're joining us online or whether you're here with us in the room. Uh, As Blake just said, we are wrapping up this series we've been working our way through called Four People, and I can think of no better way to do that than to celebrate baptism. Uh, God is four people taking their next step, and going public with their faith uh, in him. And so we're going to get to celebrate that. And um, I want to just kind of recap a little bit. What we've been doing with this series is we've been looking at three different kinds of people that God calls us to be for, especially in this season that we find ourselves in as the church. And so we, we talked about lost people. Uh, we talked about the next generation, that God is for the next generation. And we're wrapping up the series talking about different people, People who are different than us. Last August, my wife Carrie and I were in Marquette, Michigan, in the UP. We were celebrating our anniversary. And Carrie and I, we love to go on hikes. We love to be outdoors. That's the kind of stuff we love to do when we're, when we're celebrating our anniversary. And so we were on a trail, we were hiking. It was a beautiful day. And we decided to take a detour off of the hiking trail we were on because we spotted something. It was like a beautiful, calm day on Lake Superior. And there was this like series of big rocks, boulders that led all the way out into the water to appear with a lighthouse on it. You've seen this before, right? And there was like a few people that were like basically leapfrogging these rocks going all the way out to this lighthouse. And we said, okay, let's try this. And so this is actually a picture of Carrie and I. We stopped and uh, this was us, you know, jumping across these boulders to get out to this lighthouse. And yes, that is a Bob Ross t-shirt I have on. That is how I roll on vacation. <laughs> and so um, we, we went all the way out to the lighthouse. It was great. We turn around and we're on our way back, you know, jumping the rocks on the way back. And as we're going back, there is a couple coming toward us, two young women, and they are on their way out to the lighthouse. So we get to the spot on the rocks where uh, basically we're, we've kind of met each other. And so we kind of stopped and waited for them to take the next jump. And so one of the young women, what, what she did was she jumped, and when she jumped, she hit the rock, twisted her ankle, landed awkwardly, and just, like, fell right there on the rock. And it was clear she was seriously hurt. It was clear that she was in pain. I mean, it was crazy. You could actually see the ankle, like, swelling. Um, but uh, Carrie and I were on vacation. I mean, you, you see the T-shirt. It was a happy little accident, but... We gotta move on. And so we just kept we just kept going on and we just left them there. No. (laughs) Of course, we didn't do that. What kind of a terrible story would that be if that's actually what we did? Why would I tell you that if that's really what we did? That is not what happened. Of course, in that moment, it didn't matter what else was going on. It didn't matter in that moment that they were a gay couple and we were a straight couple. It didn't matter that they were young and we were older. (laughs) It didn't matter that they were locals, it turned out, and and we were out-of-towners. None of those differences between us mattered. What mattered in that moment was helping. And so Carrie, my my wife, who is a nurse, she jumped in and she looks at her ankle and immediately determines, yeah, it's either broken or very severely sprained. There's no way you're going to be able to put weight on it and like jump these rocks to get back in. And so we exchanged phone numbers, and we stayed on the phone with them while we went all the rest of the way back in. We found the (laughs) rescue people in in, uh, the UP, whatever they're called there, and they went out on a boat, actually, and they got them off the rocks. They acted like this happens all the time. They got uh, uh, this couple off the rocks, and they ended up taking her to the hospital, and all was good. Isn't it true that most oftentimes a crisis has this way of pushing people together? who might not normally fit together or hang out together. There's something that happens when there's a crisis, when there's a rescue operation underway, it's like differences disappear, and all that matters is jumping in to help. Or at least usually that's what happens, right? In most circumstances in life, that's what happens. But actually, that's what's been so confusing to me about the last year that we've lived through, this COVID pandemic crisis that we've been living in, the, actually the opposite has happened. We have not come together across political or racial or generational or socioeconomic divides during this time and during this crisis. We have actually dug deeper into our differences. We, we've huddled farther back into our corners and we've been more isolated. And can I just say, I've noticed it with myself. I, I've, I've caught myself uh, just sort of, you know, kind of wanting to kind of stay over here and not kind of cross any sort of line to anybody who's different than me. Now, I know there, there's reasons for that. There, there's reasons why this crisis has been like that. And that's another sermon for another time. But we, we've kind of gone through this time where we have gotten more and more divided. And so today, we're going to look at a passage in Luke 10 where Jesus has a conversation with a religious person. And he has something to say about this. He has something to say about how God wants to use us as the church to cross dividing lines in our world to be the church and to reach people who are far from him. And so uh, this conversation happens in Luke 10. We're going to listen in a little bit. This is everything to do with how God wants to use us as the church. So this is verse 25. It begins this way. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. my neighbor. And so that's the question that Jesus is posed with. The, the question is, who is my neighbor? So the, the teacher of the law, he quotes what we call the great commandment, which is love God vertically and then love your neighbor as yourself. But for this man, the assumption he has is, well, some people are my neighbor, some people are not. And so if someone is my neighbor, I have an obligation by the law to love them. So it's, a, it's this is a question we still ask today. So, Who is my neighbor? It would be very important for me to know who my neighbor is if I have an obligation to love them. And so, what Jesus is about to do in response is Jesus is about to respond to this question, "Who is my neighbor?" by telling one of his most famous parables. We know it as the parable uh, of the Good Samaritan. And even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably have heard elements of this story. But Jesus tells this story, one of his most famous parables, and he's he's answering this question, who is my neighbor? So let's take a look at this. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side." And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, let's just pause there for a moment and talk about this parable, this story Jesus tells. Uh, now, we don't realize it in America in our, in our kind of time today, but Jesus is actually referencing a very common situation in his time, in his world. This story centers around this very famous uh, thoroughfare road, There was a 17-mile road that went from Jerusalem to Jericho in Jesus' day. In fact, it still exists today. This is what it looks like today. Um, Now, it doesn't look like very much today, but in Jesus' day, this was a very well-traveled thoroughfare. There would have been trading caravans that would have used it. Military personnel would have used it to get back and forth from Jerusalem to Jericho. And pilgrims, people who were going to Jerusalem for festivals, would have used it. But people almost always traveled in groups when they traveled this road. And the reason for it was, it was very well known to be a dangerous road. You can kind of see, it goes through some rough terrain. and You can probably imagine even just from the picture, there are all these spots where even today there are these caves that exist on the path. Now, robbers would hide out in these caves and they would sort of wait for a person who was going through by themselves. And so it's kind of like the, the inner city late at night. like You would never walk alone by yourself without any sort of plan So in Jesus' story, this guy is walking by himself. He gets robbed. And in Jesus' day, there were two ways, two primary ways that you could tell someone's ethnicity. You could tell where they were from, what group they were from. The first one was from their clothing. The second was from their accent. When they would speak, you could tell what ethnicity they were. So in Jesus' story, the man is stripped naked on the side of the road. He has no clothes to identify him. And he, he's beaten half dead, so he doesn't speak at any point in the story. So there's, there's no way to identify him. So Jesus is basically telling the story, and it's like a generic human being. We don't know his ethnicity. We don't know his background. We don't know where he's from. We just know a generic human being is beat up, stripped naked, and left there on the side of the road. And then Jesus begins this series of people that are passing by. He says, first of all, a priest passed by and then a Levite. Now, priests and Levites would have worked in the temple in Jerusalem they, they, their entire lives revolved around the temple, revolved around the sacrificial system. And there were two items that priests and Levites used every single day in their work. Those two items are oil and wine. So if you remember what we just read, when Jesus has the Samaritan, it's oil and wine that are being poured on to bandage his wounds and, and to heal him. These are items that the priest and the Levite, it's, it's like they would have had those easy access. They would have had uh, you know, an easy way to get those things and to do something. So this is not a situation of they couldn't help. It's a situation where they pass by and they decide not to help. And then the real tension of the story comes in. A Samaritan walks by. Now, even if you are not familiar with this story, you probably are picking up uh, Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other And we kind of know that. In the church, we know that from all kinds of different passages. Jews and Samaritans really did not like each other. But most people don't know why. They have no idea why Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. So let me explain for a minute. The reason Jews and Samaritans did not get along is because they had a very complicated national and racial history. Centuries before this, Israel, the land of Israel, had been divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Now, I know it's hard for you to imagine living in a country that at one time was divided into a north and then a south. I know that's totally foreign to you, but try if you could to imagine what that would be like where there was this history where at one time you were divided and they were up there in the north and we were down here in the south or whatever. In the north, uh, the kingdom or the, the uh, capital city in the north was Samaria which is where Samaritans get their name from. And in the southern kingdom in Judah, Jerusalem was the capital city. And so Jews and Samar- Jews did not get along with each other during that time in their history, and then something happened, something terrible happened to make it way worse. What happened was the kingdom of Assyria came in, they conquered the northern territory, they sacked the city of Samaria, and they took over. And the Assyrians, if you study them in history at all, uh, they had this very, very brutal practice for how they would assimilate new groups of people that they had conquered in their their, uh, empire. In fact, where we get our word assimilate from in the English language is from the Assyrians because they were so famous for this. What they would do is they would come in and conquer an area and they would bring people in that they had deported from another place they'd conquered. They'd move people out from where they had conquered. And then what they would say is that Assyrian men, they would essentially breed this new group of people into their people group. So Assyrian men would have full sexual rights for a period of time to Jewish women. And this horrible, brutal practice, what it did over time was it created this race of half-breed people that weren't really, by Jesus' day, they weren't considered full Jewish, but they weren't really considered Assyrian either. They were, they were something else, left over from this time in their history. And they didn't like each other. Samaritans believed in uh, uh, worshiping God. They believed in the Torah. They believed that a Jewish Messiah was coming. They did believe that, but they didn't believe that the true place of worship was the temple in Jerusalem. And so there's this long history you can read about. At one point, Samaritans threw bones, human bones into the temple in Jerusalem, which would have defiled it. And so in retaliation, uh, Jewish people went and they burned the temple on Mount Gerizim in Samaria. I mean, they had this horrible, very complicated, you know, years and years and years long, complicated racial and national history together. And so what Jesus is doing here is by putting these three groups of people together in the same story, imagine being this group of people listening to Jesus tell this story. Things would have gotten tense immediately. When he puts these three people Groups of people together in the story, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. What Jesus is doing is he is confronting the biases that they had from their very complicated national and racial history. So let me just take this one step further so we kind of get it how tense this was and how intense this parable really is. If Jesus were telling this same parable, the Good Samaritan in 2020, 2021 in America today. Here's how he would tell it. He would say, a man was beaten and he was left on the side of the road. And at first, a black Democrat walked by wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. And then a white Republican walked by wearing a MAGA hat. See how quiet it just got? That's how quiet it would have gotten in the original audience when Jesus was telling this story. He's bringing to the surface these things that are so divisive in his day. And then what he does is he says all three of these people, priest, Levite, and Samaritan, they all three saw the man. And because of that, what we usually do with this story is we assume that this story is about the way we are supposed to see people. In fact, I've heard sermon after sermon after sermon from this parable where that's the main point that's made. In fact, if I'm being totally honest, I've preached a sermon or two where that's the point I've made off of this, is that we think this is all about how we're supposed to see other people because that's kind of the story. They, they walk by and they see the man and, the, and the, they walk by and the Samaritan does something and so we think, well, you know, this story is about, you know, being colorblind or being non-biased. It's about, you know, seeing our neighbor, seeing, seeing somebody who's there, and, and it's about how we perceive them. And actually, that's not at all what Jesus is talking about. That's actually not the point at all. I'm embarrassed to say it's taken me years of studying this passage. It's just until recently I realized what his main point actually is. That's embarrassing to admit if you're a pastor. His, his point actually is not at all about how we're supposed to see other people. If that's what you think, you've missed the point. He is aiming at something much, much higher. say, well, how do you know that? It has to do with what Jesus says next. It's how he wraps up the story. Remember, he's telling this parable. He's telling the story to answer the question, who is my neighbor? That's the question. Take a look at how he wraps up the parable. This is Jesus speaking. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now remember, the question Jesus is asked is who is my neighbor? How can I tell who my neighbor is? Because the assumption is some people are, some people aren't. So it's important for me to be able to tell who's on my side, who's my neighbor. And Jesus at the end, he doesn't ask Uh, you know, was the man who was beaten on the side of the road, was he a neighbor of the Samaritan or the priest or the Levite? That's not the question Jesus asks at the end. The question he asks was, who was a neighbor to the man who was beaten and left on the side of the road? That's the question he's inviting us to ask. Who was a neighbor to the man? And so we assume this is all about how we're supposed to see other people. Go ahead to the next one if you would. This story is actually all the, about all the ways we're supposed to see ourselves. This has nothing to do with how we see other people. This parable is, is all about getting to the root of how do we actually see and perceive ourselves. The issue in the story is not how the Samaritan sees the man on the side of the road. The issue in the story is how the Samaritan sees himself. Because we can talk about them, those people over there, and we can say things like, you know, I love them. I have nothing against them. You know, I'm, not a, I'm not a homophobe or a racist or any of these words that get thrown around you know, all the time today. I'm not any of those things. I love them. But you can love them and you can care about them. You can see them as your neighbor and you can still ignore them. You can still pass them by on the side of the road. If, if the only thing that changes in your life is how you see them, but it, it, you never change the way you see yourself, everything remains the same. Nothing changes. You can love them. You can call them your neighbor. You can call them your brother or your sister or whatever those people who are different than you, and you can walk right on by and ignore them and never step in to do anything differently. So nothing changes in our lives until we begin to actually see ourselves as being called to be neighbors. Jesus wants to change the perception that we have of ourselves. That's what he's after in this story. Um, my son, Andrew, just graduated from high school this past week, which was uh, an awesome thing. By the way, uh, congratulations to those of you who are graduates. Congratulations to those of you who are parents of graduates. You survived. You made it. That's how that really works, we know. Um, And this has just been an incredible week, just an incredible full week celebrating Andrew, beginning to be a part of of this graduation. But like, like you do on a week like this, I've been kind of, uh, it's been like an emotional week. I've been reflecting and remembering lots of different moments with Andrew growing up. And and there was one moment I've kind of reminisced about or reflected on. It happened several years ago. Andrew was probably seven or eight years old. And it was in the middle of winter, we had a snow day. It's like a foot of snow comes down over the night. And so the kids are off of school. I'm actually home on my computer at home trying to get some work done because I'm, I'm not going in either. I'm there at home with my kids. And so, Andrew gets excited. He gets all his snow gear on, you know, all the snow pants and everything. And he's going to go out and play in the snow. So he goes out there and he's out there for a long time, like a couple hours. And I'm sitting there in my computer and all of a sudden he, I hear the door open and Andrew comes in, he's tracking snow everywhere. And he says, dad, you got to come to the window and see this. I made an autistic snowman. And I'm I'm like, you made what? I made an autistic snowman. Come on. Like he's proud of himself and he wants me to be proud of him too. And so I'm, I'm sitting there kind of unsure how exactly do you respond to this? So he's like standing there tracking snow. And so I'm like, okay, okay. I get up from my computer. I go over to the window with him. And at our house at that time, the front window looked right out onto the yard. And sure enough, he had built an autistic snowman. Uh, There was a snowman there and he had made the eyes like on the top of the head looking up. And they'd made these, the stick arms were kind of sticking out at different directions. And uh, Andrew has a younger brother with autism. And so it looked very much like the stuff his brother was doing at that time. You know, uh, when Aaron would get overwhelmed, he'd look up and he'd flap his arms and stuff like this. And so sure enough, this is an autistic snowman. And, and, and now we're just standing there and it's quiet and he's waiting for me to say something. He's very proud of this. And I'm like, what do you, what is the correct, You know, response here, as a father, I'm really not sure what the right thing for me to say is until I noticed the second snowman. He'd actually made two snowmen, and he made a second one standing right next to the autistic snowman. And so trying to just sort of divert the attention to something else, I said, "Uh, tell me about that other snowman. And his response was, he said, oh, that's me. And I looked again he had made himself, and, and one of the stick arms was like this around the other snowman. And suddenly in that moment, I know exactly what to say. I'm, I'm proud of him. I'm incredibly proud. Because that second snowman spoke volumes to me about the perspective shift that was happening inside of Andrew at that time. He wasn't just seeing his brother differently he was beginning to see himself differently. Something my wife and I have said to our boys, we love all of our boys. It's something we, we have kind of instilled. It's been like a cultural value of our family. is we, we have said, you don't have a brother with special needs. You are a brother to someone with special needs. Those are two very, very different things. One of them just speaks to a fact about you. I have a brother with special needs. Yeah, you do. That's a fact about you. That's a fact about your life. The other one speaks to identity. It speaks to who you are. You are a brother with special needs. What does that mean? That means when you see your brother struggling, when you see him being overlooked or mistreated. In fact, if you, out in life, in what you do with your life, if you see someone with special needs struggling, being overlooked, being forgotten, in that moment... You do not have a brother with special needs. You are a brother with special needs. Stand up, speak out, be involved. You see the difference? One of those things changes the way that you live your life because it speaks to who you are. It speaks to your identity. You are a brother. That's what you are. This is what Jesus is after in this story. As we look at ourselves, as we look at the church, as we look at the times we're living in, how divided and hateful everything has become in our world, as the church, this is the main idea. We don't have people in our community who are different. We are a community of people to those who are different. You see the difference? We don't just have people in our community who are different. That's just a fact. That doesn't change anything. What changes things is when we really begin to see ourselves as a community of people to those who are different. We've been sent to those who are different in our world. We've said this before, and I'll say it again the church doesn't exist for us. We are the church, and we exist for the world. That's what Jesus called us to, that's what he called us to be. And if that seems overwhelming, if that seems like a tall order, hang on, there's more good news. One of the things I love about Jesus' parables is that there are layers to Jesus' parables. In other words, they work on multiple levels. They just have layer after layer of truth. One of of the layers of this parable that is so powerful to me is that Jesus actually included us in this parable. (laughs) You and I are in this parable. The reason is because on, on one way that you can look at this parable, Jesus himself actually is the true good Samaritan. We were the ones who were broken and beaten and left on the side of the road. We were the ones who were in need of rescue. And religion passed us by. Religion can't or won't or just doesn't have what it takes to fix the problems and the needs that we have as human beings. And so Jesus, the true good Samaritan, left heaven. He saw us in our time of brokenness and He came to us. He healed us. And He didn't just use oil and wine, He used His own blood. And he didn't do it at the expense of his time and his money, like the story. He did it at the expense of his own life. And therefore, when Jesus has been the one that's bandaged our wounds, when he's taken us, well, what that means is that we have become brothers and sisters. We're more than just neighbors. We're brothers and sisters of a whole new family. God's done something totally new. We were invited into something totally new, entirely new identity. This is what Paul is talking about in Galatians 3 Paul writes about this. He's actually talking about baptism. And this is what he says in Galatians 3. He said he's trying to get them to understand this new identity they have and he says for you are all children of God through your faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, and that's actually the symbolism of baptism. That's what we're talking about. In baptism, what happens is uh, we are going public. We are, you know, enacting the death and the life of and the resurrection of Jesus. So when we go down in the water of baptism, just like Jesus died and was buried, what we're saying is, I'm dying to my old life. I'm dying to the altar of I'm going to fix myself. Religion doesn't work. Just trying to, to follow all the rules perfectly in my own strength, justify myself, prove that I've got what it takes. I'm dying to that when I go down in that water. I'm saying I can't rescue myself. I'm as helpless as that man beaten and left on the side of the road. When we come up out of the water, just like Jesus was raised to a new life, what Paul is saying in that verse is he's saying, when we come out of the water of baptism, we are putting on Christ like we're putting on new clothes. What, he's, what he means here is we're putting on our new, our true identity in Christ. When we begin to live out of our true identity, who we really are in Christ, that's when everything changes. We put on Christ, our true identity, and that true identity is not about your race, it's not about your gender, it's not about your sexuality, it's not about your generation, your socioeconomic background, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's the only identity that will not let you down it's who you truly are for all of eternity. You're redeemed and you're bought back and you're adopted into the family of God by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. That's the message. That's the hope that we have and that's what baptism signifies. So this morning, we're going to move into a time where we celebrate baptism. And so uh, here's, what I, here's what I'd love for us to do. If you uh, have already let us know that you're wanting to get baptized in a moment, I'm gonna have a stand and pray, and then we're gonna sing a song. And as we're singing that song, I would love for you to come over here to this side of the room and join us right over here by the Jesus banner. It's Jesus banner that we've uh, we've had people write their names on as they've surrendered their life to Jesus. They're you know written into the story, into this the new family of God. Will you come and join us as we sing this song? And then um, as soon as we're done singing, we'll we'll baptize you. But I want to talk to Maybe some of you in this room, who you weren't planning to get baptized today, and maybe you've watched baptism service after baptism service, and you've thought to yourself, well, maybe someday I'll I'll have my life together enough, I'll be ready, and you've got your list. You know, when I deal with this, when I get this problem fixed, when I'm no longer struggling with this, you check off all those things off your list, then I'll be good enough, I'll be ready to go get baptized. You missed the whole point. We need to be rescued. We need Jesus to come and do it. And we don't get our true identity. Nothing really changes in our lives until we allow him to do his salvation work in our lives, until we allow him to give us our true identity through his death and through his resurrection and by trusting in him as our Lord and Savior. So I wanna encourage you, make a bold move. Declare him as Lord of your life and come get baptized. Blake said it already, we've got towels, we've got t-shirts. Don't let you know, some water be the thing that, that scares you away from taking this step. So would you do this? Would you stand with me in the room? I'm gonna pray and then uh, you come and join us over here. Lord Jesus, we just recognize that it's your power that transforms a life. It's your power that sets the captives free. It's your power that breaks chains and overcomes dividing walls in our world. We don't have it within ourselves. Man, this last year has proved that. We can't overcome that stuff ourselves. We don't have what it takes. Humanity just finds new and better ways to hurt each other. We need you, Jesus. We need you. to meet us on the side of the road where we are to rescue us and we need you to give us our true identity in you adopted into the family of God restored redeemed reconciled that's what we want and so God today we just declare our faith in you we declare that you are Lord of our lives we just declare that you are who you said you are and that you are powerful enough to do what you said you could do in our lives so do it now Jesus as we celebrate you as we celebrate those who are taking this step would you do it. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. All right, let's sing. If you're ready to get baptized, come and join us over here.